Boys and girls, your attention, please. First of all, I'd like to make a little statement. Welcome to the Social Exchange Podcast. All of your friends are welcome. Once you learn the basic rules, it isn't really so complicated, is it? make good first impressions. It's a simple enough matter to give people you meet plenty of room to pass. Try to understand another person's viewpoint. That's a rather simplified suggestion of a mental process. But you get the idea. Hey everybody, welcome to the Social Exchange Podcast. I'm Zach Rhodes, and I have a good one for you tonight. Somehow I convinced my amazing guest to be on the show at 9 p.m. on an otherwise perfectly serviceable Saturday night. So I'm excited and proud to introduce them. I'm joined by two out of three uh, drug policy journalists who are the hosts of Narcotica, a podcast about the war on drugs and people caught in the middle. It's a fantastic show informed by science, and it's fun to listen to, so... We're going to talk more about it in just a moment. I just want to introduce each of them. I'm with Zachary Siegel. He's a journalism fellow at Northeastern University Law School's Health and Justice Initiative. He was also elected as 2018's Guggenheim Justice Reporting Fellow at John Jay College of Criminal Justice at the City University of New York. With me is Troy Farah as well. I've learned he does everything. I just learned that. He's a videographer and a photographer and an artist. And you write fiction, and of course you're a journalist reporting on drug policy and science and public health. And you can find his work in Discover and Motherboard, Tonic, Vice News, The Fix. So all these guys, pretty much everywhere you look, you can find some articles. Troy, it's a pleasure to have you on too. Yeah, thank you. It's great to be here. So of course, all three of you host a podcast called Narcotica, and that's what I want to talk to you about. And it's outstanding, and I don't think there's much like it. I've, my listeners know this. If you go back and listen to some of my shows, I've, I've mentioned it a couple times now. Really great. And so here's the part. I'll just go off script and we can take this thing in one direction or another. Um, I have a question for either of you. Just Maybe you can let listeners know uh, which one of you is speaking, but any of you can answer. What is your basis for starting the podcast? Maybe you can just give a little background and tell us about it. Uh, so this is Zach. I think, you know... It actually just came out of us talking to each other in Twitter DMs. <laughs> I mean, Troy, is that right? Like, we were all just talking, and that's basically the genesis of it, is like, we all wanted to do something together. Yeah, I wanted to start a podcast for a while about drugs, because I found that there weren't very many good ones out there about drugs. Uh, there's a lot of people that are just you know, armchair philosophy, they're, they're giving their theories about drugs, and they're like, well, ketamine, I think it does this, and I was like, I want something that's informed, uh, well-researched, I want, you know, NPR-style journalism. Uh, started talking to Zach, and he's like, well, hey, I've already been talking to Chris Maraff about, about starting this, 
and then we had a, a Skype meeting or something like that, and the rest is history. So do you guys know each other uh, before this, or did you just kind of know of each other? I think we've all just read each other's work over the past couple years. I mean, that's how I met Chris, and then same with Troy. Like, Troy wrote this really, really good piece about pregnant women using supervised injection facilities mm-hmm. for Undark. And I just love reading Undark and was like surprised that they had published this kind of story there. And like anyone who is sort of infiltrating these like big sort of very scientific media institutions with progressive harm reduction, like that really catches my eye. It's like you really have to sell the editor on the idea most of the time because this stuff is counterintuitive or controversial but really like there's data there's science there's empirical stuff behind all this it just sounds kind of visceral to those not initiated yeah i wanted to ask you about that is is it tough to get work writing about drugs if it's uh if it's too far off course of mainstream views that, I would say, depends where you uh, take the story. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that there is a big hunger for audiences about drugs. Everybody likes to read about it. Um, it's not just because of, of Hunter S. Thompson and all that, but people are interested in them. Um, everybody is interested in drugs. Uh, you know, soccer moms are interested in drugs. They're coming from it at a different angle, but, you know, the evening news is going to say the scary new drug that they're going to be freaked out about, and then but they're going to they're gonna tune in when it's like new drug. Whereas on the other end of the spectrum where I think Zach and Chris and I come from, it's more like, oh, there's this new drug? Well, let's talk about the pharmacology and how it works and how we can, oh, people are using it? Why are they using it? How does it make them feel? And, and how can we reduce the harms that are associated with drug use? Because there isn't a drug that exists that doesn't have a side effect. It's just, you, you change the chemistry in your body, something will have a a counterbalance um but you know there's a a measure that you know drugs are obviously some drugs are obviously more dangerous than others and i think that's what interests us who would so is your target audience everyone who might be interested in drugs and trying to bring those people whatever their interests you know why ever they might be interested in whatever their basis is just trying to bring them together and give kind of a factual view of things uh, I think we're trying to cast a widest net as possible, just like, you know, any other publication or, or outlet, mm. but obviously this is like a niche topic and there is between us a, a, a decent following on, on Twitter, at least in our own little echo chamber, people who want, you know, scientific policy-based drug content and i think like troy said there isn't that much out there on that like for so long fear-mongering was sort of acceptable as rhetoric for for talking about drugs Mm -hmm. and i think because largely the opioid crisis affected middle-class white people the content started to change a little and I felt that as it got more mainstreamed, finally we could like fact check people, people (laughs) like that's a new thing in drug reporting, at least from my, my view. 
So you all report about pretty much the same topic, but when I go down the list of your bona fides, it looks like each of you have a slightly unique area of specialty or interest. We were just talking about this. So, for instance, uh, Zach, you were mentioning like Chris does a lot of on-the-ground work with drug users in Philly, and so maybe you can elaborate on that. What is the, you know, what is the scope of each of your work, and, and how do they differ? Not to talk for Chris, but he's sure. like an ethnographer, wouldn't you say, Troy? He's like uh, yeah. in so deep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of our strengths, uh, that, that we're all coming from different backgrounds and different parts of the country. Like, I'm in the high desert in California. Zach just recently moved to Chicago, and Chris is, of course, in, in Philadelphia. Um, uh, you know, I, I cover more science than I think the other two, but it doesn't mean that Zach and Chris don't also cover science. And Chris, for example, covers more on-the-street reporting, but that doesn't mean that I don't cover stuff on the street. Right. So it all kind of complements each other, plus you have uh, a diverse range of people that you're talking to across the country? Yeah, yeah like, like if you're looking at Troy's feed, you'll get stories about like bugs, like he's definitely the science guy, <laughs> but also like public health policy, like that's the story that sort of first caught my eye by him that I was like, whoa, this is... This is really interesting and got me thinking about something I hadn't really thought before. And I think out of the three of us, maybe I'm more interested in, in like large public health policy writ large and like maybe more medical, uh, the medical side of things and the treatment side of things, which is, yeah, sort of maybe where I'm drawn to the most. I did notice in the first episode. It's, uh, sorry, it's called Opioid of the Masses. Is that what you, the title is? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but you each did your own stories and then you tied them together really well. I feel like collectively you guys are skilled at explaining this topic, uh, accurately. And then you take it really seriously, but also when things start to seem absurd or frustrating from a listener's standpoint, <laughs> I, I think you know just where to insert some subtle irony and humor. As a listener, I feel like that's a gift when I hear that. But anyway, I sense that you work well as a team. Did you guys sense that the collaboration would work? Or how did you decide that it would be, I mean, a good idea for for all three of you to be doing it? For me, it seems like for someone who is kind of task urgent and pretty industrious, I like to do things on my own. I, it would be tough to work with three people, I think. Well, it's not always easy, uh, sometimes coordinating. <laughs> we can have meetings that get postponed a lot. Yeah. Especially since we're in different time zones. Um, but uh, I, what I find interesting is that we don't really have a lot of overlap in topics. Like, we're all just interested in different niche things. But when we do sometimes cover things that are sort of similar, we can, uh, we'll, we'll help each other out. Like, mm. give each other resources, or I came across this, or you can talk to this source, or that kind of thing. Um, I don't know if we really could predict that it came together, but it just came together kind of naturally. We've been working on this project for about nine months. So the third episode is just around the corner. We're really excited to release it. But it's kind of, uh, it's a little frustrating, to be honest, that, you know, it, it took us four months to do the first episode. We did this second episode really quickly, but then the third episode is also taking a while. But uh, I'm, I'm extremely happy with the quality. So I, I guess the amount of effort and the coordination that's being put into it um, I guess that's necessary. It takes, it takes as long as it takes. Yeah, yeah. I, I've noticed it, it kind of 
I had this series that I was doing not too long ago, and it, you know, it, it, it I was, thought it would be done easily in a month, and it took so long. I just think it takes, like you said, it takes as long as it takes to put out something that's accurate and, you know, worth listening to. Yeah, like, I, I think there's a lot of podcasts out there that are sort of informal or more laid-back interview style, which is just this is the show and we're bringing on someone and we're yes. going to talk and then yeah. you record the interview and you can get it up the next day. Yep. Like I like that and that's cool. But what we're doing is reported and it takes time and we're all freelancing on our own and we have our own uh, rent to make our own food to buy. Like this is not, no one's doing this to make money. So we all have to take care of our own shit first. Yep. And then podcasting and getting together all comes right. Like after we've already got the bread, so to speak. So like, yeah, the timing wise, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really hard to get a consistent steady stream of content given that we really want to do in depth reporting and, and, for anyone listening, like it, it, it's sort of like for listening to the final product, it's sort of, it's just, there's no, uh, peering behind what went into producing the show. Like it's so much work. I yeah. can't believe it. <laughs> so like, you have to have been motivated to do it. And I know what you mean, how you get this like 30 minute segment and yeah, there's really no way except to tell people or try to show people for them to know how much got smuggled into that process. You know what I'm fascinated by is that obviously this topic itself is not easy and there's so much noise everywhere about drugs and addiction. Troy, you were just saying that there's so many people who talk about it and they're just kind of armchair philosophers. And not only is it tough to parse fact from fiction or like science from anecdotes, but I think it can be so difficult even among the most astute or agreeable you know, researchers of this stuff to come to some kind of a consensus so I wanted to ask you guys a question about what you disagree on, and, and we can cut this part out if you want to, but it's funny because you said you had no, no real big disagreements, and I, I think that's absolutely incredible. I have come across very few people who I don't have, even if I think, agree with 99% of what they say, who I don't have some major disagreement with. Well, I can take that one. Um, I would describe myself as a little bit of an empiricist, and I think Zach and Chris would agree. Um, we care about the evidence. Uh, yeah. So we all are kind of looking at the evidence the same way and we're coming to the same conclusions. So it's, that's, I would say that's why we're not having so many disagreements. We disagree about some things, but, you know, very little. Like disagreements logistically, like, oh, are we going to meet on Tuesday? Like, whatever. <laughs> like, we all disagree about the nitty gritty minutia of just everyday work. But when it comes to the topics we cover, like if I put it to the group, I'm like, Hey, Chris and Troy, like, do you think you can overdose by touching fentanyl? Like <laughs> none of them are going to be like, yeah, you totally can. Like I heard a, a cop did it once. Like, like we are really looking closely at, at what we cover. And then, um, like depending on how far we drill down into a topic, there might be 
maybe different ways we would like to frame something or different interpretations of something. But so far, like we, I don't know, maybe further down the road, we'll, we'll, we'll find stuff that, that we disagree on. But so far, I think like ideologically, we're all very much aligned. And then also when it comes to what the content and framing of the segments ultimately are, I think we give each other a lot of freedom. Like I'm not micromanaging Troy's segment. He's not looking at mine. Like we all upload our final thing and we're just like blown away by each other, which I think is really cool. That's a good answer. Uh, so I feel like what you're saying is that you might disagree about what is interesting or worth reporting, but even if you do, you kind of have your own beat. And anything that you have to work on together, you're looking at the evidence. So either it's a question that's answered by evidence, or if it's not, then it means that it's an interesting thing to that you'll have to look into in the future. Here's a question for anyone who wants it. You've done a couple episodes now. It's been the kind of narrative style stories, and each of you are covering your own thing. You had a really interesting episode about Anthony Bourdain, where you had kind of a roundtable discussion. What are we, as listeners, going to be hearing on your show in the future? More reporting or more discussions, or will there be some kind of a balance? Hopefully a balance. Mm. Uh, we are going to have some special guests coming up, like ce celebrated authors. Uh, I can't really say who it is yet. Sure. Um, but we are going to keep doing... Uh, the the more I call it NPR style radio magazine journalism. You know, it's like story, the beginning, the middle, and the end. Um, but our, our our audience, who, who we love our audience a lot, and and they kind of got back to us and were like, we'd like you to do more roundtable stuff. So when we heard about Anthony Bourdain's suicide, um, and all these people were pointing fingers at drugs as being the cause when, you know, there was nothing in his system, if I remember correctly, the right. toxicology report, and it was clean. Yep. You know, so that's, we wanted to talk about that. We just got together and, you know, digitally <laughs> and, and busted it out. That's amazing, because I had to look really hard to find that information. I just happened to be digging for it already, but, you know, as you know, most people heard that he probably killed himself because of drugs, and very few people probably heard that there were no drugs in the system. Not that, not that it's a black or white issue. That's interesting. Zach, this one goes your way, man. You did a, you did a story about a pervasive myth, namely that uh, fentanyl is so powerful, almost in a special category of special, that first responders are at the risk of overdosing just by touching it. I love that segment. So maybe, can you, can you explain a little bit about it? Uh, just talk about why it's false, if you want to, or, or people can just listen to the show. My, my question to you, though, is, and, and Troy, to you too, if you want to jump in, are there any other shibboleths in mainstream news that you hope to dispel on the show? Um, well, so first, I just want to say, today, check... Chuck Schumer, Senator Chuck Schumer, mm. he tweeted uh, about the fentanyl myth from the wrong side. He was saying that he met with law enforcement officials and that uh, fentanyl is putting them at risk by exposing them. And uh, so 
Chuck, if you're listening, let's <laughs> listen to the pot, man. <laughs> like it is so pervasive. People still believe it. Um, it, I don't know how, well, this is interesting because cops are an authority and when they say mm. something is happening, people believe it. And the thing we're talking about is officers who are supposedly overdosing or experiencing symptoms at the scene of drug bust or at the scene of an overdose. And so after very brief, totally minor contact with illicit fentanyl in, in its powdered form, there's all these stories about cops having symptoms and symptoms like like nausea or fainting or all these things that aren't even really opioid overdose symptoms so there's just something very weird happening and i take that seriously i think first responders are super important and they're reversing tons of overdoses with narcan without them the national overdose rate would surely be way way higher than it is mm -hmm. so i take it serious that something is going on but what I think we all agree on is that touching a powder isn't causing the symptoms. It's just like scientifically the skin solubility isn't there. Like it took the pharmaceutical industry decades of research and millions of dollars to create a transdermal patch system that is skin soluble and dealers don't have that technology. And so basically um, that's, that's what the myth is. And, um, it's created a panic and people are really afraid of being in the same room as this stuff. And, um, yeah, it, it's totally absurd. And, but the problem is the people telling the stories are very credible. They're cops. People believe cops. So it's been a really uphill battle to counter the, the narrative. And luckily there's uh, sort of like a wave of forensic toxicologists and medical experts on Twitter who sort of retweet and jump on reporters who do write these articles and sometimes they get a correction out of it. So, so that's good. Um, but uh, as far as other myths to dispel and other sort of false narratives in the drug crisis it's like there isn't enough time in a day to to do it all like people just have so much bad information and there's so much noise out there about drugs i i don't know troy is there like a a, a myth out there that just like grinds your gears like that that's still <laughs> that's there's a lot of them but the yeah. one that stuck me most is probably the narcan's party myth Wow. Oh, my God. I don't know if you know what a Narcan party is, but it's this idea that people will get together, heroin users or opioid users or drug users or whatever, they'll get together, they'll mix their stashes, and then they'll keep doing as much drugs as they can until they overdose, and they'll have Narcan or Naloxone on hand to revive them from the overdose. And this is this thing that's been spread by chiefs of police, uh, district attorneys, all these public figures are spreading this lie. Uh, I spent about a month doing some reporting on this, and I started calling up these people and being like, okay, you're saying this is happening. Where's the proof? And none of them could provide it yeah. because it's not happening. 
If you talk to any drug user, this is the stupidest thing you could think of. Nobody ever wants to go through an overdose because, number one, you're wasting your drugs. You want to get high from the drugs. You don't want to, you know, use a whole bunch of it. And re once you reverse from Narcan, all the drugs are like, you're not able to use heroin for, for a couple of hours at least. So you just wasted everything so that you can feel sick. Uh, the other thing is nobody just like mixes a bunch of drugs together. There's, this kind of stems from this myth, that, uh, this pill party myth. It's like, it's, like, it's like a very law and order style myth. There's like a party with a bowl of pills and everyone's eating out of it. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. No sense because, you know, someone's going to bring oxycodone to this party, but most people would probably bring Benadryl. And why would you risk that? You would just take the drugs you have or buy the drugs you want. It's, and, and there's no evidence of any of this stuff happening. But it, it just sounds like this benign rumor, this bullshit that's being spread. But it has actual consequences. Right. People, if a district attorney is saying this is happening, oh, they're having Narcan parties, well, then the, the obvious response to that is, we'll stop handing out Narcan, which leads to overdoses that can't be reversed. Yeah. And then people die. Right. I, 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 I think... Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, I think that's a really good point. Like, we're not just, like, swatting out myths for the sake of it. Like, there's actual consequences to people believing the wrong thing. Like, if you're a first responder and you're afraid of overdosing at the scene, you're not going to give CPR. If, 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 if you're looking over the budget and you hear that there's Narcan parties, you're going to cut the budget for distributing Narcan. Like, these are real problems, and, like, believing in the wrong thing actually matters. Yeah, so there are people out there, I think, who get a kick out of you know, being a skeptic, whether they actually have the knowledge to back up their claims or not. And, um, I think it, people mistake, uh, people like you who know that there are serious consequences for either getting something wrong or right in public policy for people who just like to make noise. And, um, I, I think that when I listen to your show and then when I read it, your, your guys work, um, it's very clear that you take it seriously, and it's very clear that you've done the research to back it up. So it's I. That's why I want to be boosterish about it. I, I love what you're doing, and I like the angle at which you're coming coming at it. Thanks, man. Thank you. Listen, I'd love to be able to sit and speak to both of you for longer than we have. I bet my listeners feel the same way. Um, so that's what they'll need to tune into the show. Before I go, can you give us any clue about? What's coming up next? I know you said you didn't want to spoil who's going to come on, but and then how maybe how often you'll you'll publish episodes if you have any any clue about that. So the next episode will be about stimulants and mm. it's being produced and edited all right now. It should be coming out hopefully soon. I don't want to give a date cuz we don't know. Um, <laughs> okay. At the mercy of our producer doing pro bono work for us, so that's we're really cool. lucky to to have him. And then that's John Aaron's, by the way. Um, so stimulants is up next, and like Troy said, we want to do some more group sort of roundtable discussions, and we'll hopefully bring on some some cool people and have some cool talks. I was going to say we are. Um we are open to suggestions as well. A couple of people mm -hmm. have talked to us about wanting to do an alcohol episode, cool. uh, which we want to tackle because 
if you hear anything in the media, it's like alcohol or, and drugs. And it's like oh, alcohol right, and right. Right. <laughs> you know, so it's this really overlooked, blatant thing that's totally acceptable to get hammered on and destroy your liver. But if you do something else, like it's illegal, that's suddenly wrong. Um, we want to talk about that, and, and we'll probably tackle Kratom, because that's looking like it's going to be banned sooner than later, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, there are millions of people that use Kratom, which is this, it's like tea or coffee, and it has opioid-like effects, but it doesn't, it doesn't have the same risks of overdose, even though the FDA is saying that people are dying from it, which is not true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, how do people yeah. contact you? What's the best way to take to get suggestions and and also any other ways to access listening to the podcasts or your relevant work so we're always on twitter at our respective uh handles and then follow us at narcocast and we go on that account pretty much every day and read the dms which i think are open otherwise uh, i'm zach at narcocast and troy at narcocast.com Chris at narcocast.com can email any one of us as well personally. Yeah, and one more thing I want to mention about upcoming things is we are going to have exclusive content for our Patreon subscribers. Mm-hmm. Uh, really grateful for them. I mean, we don't have that many, but the, the few that we do are just like, thank you so much. Like, it helps us pay with, for web hosting and all the other stuff. Um, I'm going to be doing a segment called Nature's Speed for the <laughs> stimulants episode. It's basically talking about like, all these different plants and insects and stuff that produce basically speed, you know, stimulants. Uh, so that's the kind of stuff that we'll also have in the pipeline. Yeah, lots of bonus stuff. Really cool. I, I like Patreon. I think it's a <laughs> route that I'm going to go down. And it's cool, man, because it's people who probably would donate anyway. You don't have to really beg for money, but it, it's cool to be able to give people content who you know are supporting you. Yeah, it's a boost to know that people out there will give us money to help us out. I mean, it's really, we're grateful. Absolutely. Well, listen, guys, I now follow all of your independent work. <laughs> it's all bookmarked. And I think the show and its format and content and the nuance is so enjoyable. Um, I think the general public needs a 21st century scientific upgrade to our ideas about drug mm-hmm. policy. So not just a fun thing to listen to. It's crucial for people to hear. And thanks for both of you for doing this. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Zach. I appreciate you having us on. Yeah, thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to the Social Exchange Podcast. You've been listening to my interview with Troy Farah and Zachary Siegel, host of Narcotica. Until next time.